Welcome to the Penguin Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Penguin Podcast. Today is a podcast special to mark the global publication this week of The Sign, a major new historical work written by the Cambridge art historian Thomas de Wesselow, examining the birth of the Christian religion nearly 2,000 years ago in ancient Palestine. As one of the world's core religions, Christianity has shaped the course of human history. Yet until now, historians have been unable to explain how it really began. How did a first-century preacher called Jesus manage to spark a new religion? It's one of the biggest and most profound of all historical mysteries. Now, after years of secret research, the author of The Sign puts all the pieces of the puzzle together and presents a radical, controversial and convincing answer. De Wesselow's revolutionary findings have been kept a secret until today, and in the following interview, the author and his editor at Penguin, Joel Rickett, discuss this groundbreaking work of history. Hello, I'm Joel Rickett, Editorial Director of Penguin Books, and I'm here with Thomas de Wesselow, author of The Sign, The Shroud of Turin and The Secret of the Resurrection. A secret book, in fact, that Penguin uh, and the author have been working on for uh, at least three years. In fact, Tom, you've been working on the book for even longer, right? Um, yeah, well, I suppose, in a way, I've been working on this book for about seven years. It was about seven years ago that uh, I first um, realised there was something about the Shroud that... Uh, was intriguing. Um, I saw a, a documentary on TV and um, was inspired to try and find out a bit more about it. And um, you were you you are an art historian. So, what was it that piqued your interest about this thing? Well, um, initially it was on this TV program. I realised there was some interesting sort of details about the stitching of the cloth and so on, which suggested it might be more interesting than people generally thought. But uh, then I realised that people dismiss the Shroud of Turin as, as a medieval fake, generally. Um, and I'm an art historian, a historian of medieval art. I study 14th century art, which is when people think that the Shroud was faked, generally. And uh, I started looking at it and realising, the more I looked at it, they realised that this could not be a medieval image. It just didn't really make sense, or does not make sense, as Why? a medieval artefact. Well, I mean, we know an awful lot about medieval art, and... Um, this doesn't check out as a medieval image in any respect. It's, it's not made like a medieval image. It's technically incorrect for a medieval image. It's not, it doesn't match medieval iconography. Um, it's stylistically completely different from anything made in the Middle Ages. Um, so you, you found yourself thinking a bit more that this thing might actually be authentic. And then you started reading. What did you discover about the sort of, the, first of all, the sort of science around the shroud and the testing itself? Well, I mean, it, it seemed to me to be a, a real enigma, a fascinating enigma, but what really got me interested in thinking about it properly and making the effort to really try and understand it was, um, was realising how it would have been perceived if it was indeed an authentic first-century um, burial cloth. And I realised, um, given my, my art historical training, I understand how people view images psychologically and how they view them psychologically in the past. And I realised that it would have been viewed animistically, that is, as a living image. It would have been seen as a living double of the person whose image it was. And so if it was seen like that, and if it appeared after someone's death, it would have been seen as a living double after their death, and therefore as them, in a sense, resurrected. And I suddenly realised that this could explain um, the the, uh, the belief in Jesus' resurrection. This is something that no one's ever been able to explain before. This is quite a huge 
idea and, and much more than an idea backed up with all kinds of evidence in the book. Um, just explain for those of us, I mean, you know, certainly before I started working with you on the book, I, I, I sort of only really knew of the Shroud as a sort of curiosity or as a relic for the evangelical. And I only knew in my head I had that image of um, that sort of black and white image of Jesus's face. Explain what this thing actually is. Well, it's far, far more than an image of, of just Jesus's face. It's a, a long linen cloth, about 14 foot long, and it has a double image on it of a crucified man and you see the front image and the back image of the man and the quality of the image is quite extraordinary it, 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 it's extremely faint vanishingly faint you can only see it from a certain distance if you get closer than about six foot it actually vanishes away it melts into the cloth and the other really amazing thing about the image and this is one of the things that really got me interested is that it's a negative image that is it's, it's a bit like a photographic negative. If you remember when we used to take um, photos on film and we would get a, a roll of negatives and you'd try and see the images of your friends and family on them, it's all a bit difficult because all the, the tones are inverted. You get lights where there were darks and darks where there were lights, and so everyone was difficult to recognise. Well, the shroud is, is a negative image just like that. Um, and, you know, I, I realised that this is a really extraordinary thing because you didn't get negative images in the Middle Ages. No one knew about them until the invention of photography, and that was the 19th century. And that was the first time we realised the true sort of nature of this, of this piece of we, cloth. We, we realised that it was an extraordinary image at the end of the 19th century when it's photographed for the first time, yeah. And so you started reading about it. Tell us, tell us a bit about the sort of science around it, because obviously... Um, the there was a, a carbon dating test that everyone sort of knows about back in the 80s that that sort of attributed it to being a sort of medieval artifact but there's other science as well that 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 is directly sort of conflicting with that the, 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 there was a lot of science um, conducted on it in 1978 there was a showing in 1978 of the shroud and scientists were allowed to investigate it then and they did a lot of tests and and looked at it in a lot of different ways and found that it couldn't possibly be a painting for a start. They, they could look very, very closely at the cloth and see that the image was formed by just a, a very, very slight discoloration of some of the fibres on the threads. Um, they looked at the pollen. Uh, there's a lot of pollen caught in the fabric of the shroud, and it's, it comes from, a lot of it comes from plants that grow in the region of the Dead Sea, just near Jerusalem. And there was limestone particles caught in the fabric as well. And these limestone particles can be typed, and they, they're very similar to the type of limestone that occurs uh, near Jerusalem. And the image, the famous image itself, is, is two elements of it, isn't there? There's, there's blood, and that is, as is, is, um, I now know from, from having worked on, on your book, is real human blood. And then there's this kind of brown stone, which is, is, is the more intriguing, and that's... Um, where, how do you think that was formed? Um, yeah, well, the blood is, is very simple. It is actually blood, as you say. It's been chemically tested, so it's definitely um, a burial cloth. And the brown stain um, is the really interesting one. That's what gets everyone excited, and it's what is what makes the shroud so extraordinary. And this shows the, the image of the body of, of a crucified man. He's still shown in a, You can see that his limbs were um, held in rigor mortis, that is, uh, rigid after death in the pose of someone who was crucified. And it's, in my view, it's, it's a perfectly natural stain. It's um, a chemical reaction, and it's uh, similar to the, the chemical reaction that causes bread to go brown when it's in the oven. So what links this thing to, to Jesus? Well, 
If you look at the pattern of the bloodstains on the on on the man, he's been crucified, um, which of course matches the descriptions of the death of Jesus in the Gospels. And crucially, he's been crucified wearing something like a crown of thorns. And this means he was crucified as as a as a Messiah, as a would-be king. And we only know of one person who is crucified at this time as a would-be Messiah, and that is Jesus. So if we accept, as I think the world will now, that this thing is real, uh, is authentic, um, and and we should say it's it's you know it's a it's a extraordinary thing to behold. I mean, you've seen in Turin, and and maybe you describe it for people. Um, what it is an extraordinary image. It's as I say, extremely faint. You can see it when you go to Turin. Um, it's put on show occasionally. It was last put on show in 2010 when I saw it. And you can see it from the back of the church. It's put up above the high altar. And it's, it's extremely faint. But you can just make out the images. And when you get close, it, it, it disappears from view entirely. It has an amazing psychological impact as well. This, uh, this strange um, face with the, with the glowing eyes. They appear glowing because of the negative effect. Um, and, and imagine um, what that must have been like two thousand years ago, I guess. And that's that's the the, the um, your imagining of that moment um, is at the heart of the book, isn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, th- this was seen for the first time in the tomb where where Jesus was, and it would have had the most extraordinary effect on the people who saw it, who, who didn't see images in the same way that we do now. They didn't have them all over the place. Images were extremely rare, especially in Judea, because of the Jewish injunction against graven images. And so this was a very rare object indeed, an extraordinary phenomenon that broke in upon their world. And they would have been completely amazed by it. And what would they have thought it was? How would they have seen it? Well, they would have seen it like... like um, a shadow or a reflection, other sorts of natural image. This was another natural image that appeared in their world. And they understood natural images like shadows and reflections as living doubles, effectively, of the people um, with whom they were connected. They didn't understand them in optical, scientific terms like we understand them now. Um, they saw the shadow as a sort of, as a, as a part of the person, as, a, as, a, as an image connected to the person and containing something of their essence. And so the shroud would have been similar, just like a shadow. It was a sort of an essence, uh, an essence of Jesus on his cloth. And they would have gone back to their scriptures and and sort of straight away started thinking about this in terms of a resurrection, right? And they were they'd been waiting for a resurrection. Well, I, I I think the reason why they thought about it in terms of resurrection is more to do with Jewish common sense, to do with the uh, this idea of of the shadow as a as a living double. But yes, when they when they tried to understand it, what it might mean in those days, the way you understood how how a sign like this, um, uh, what it meant, was to go back to your scriptures to try and find mentions of it in the scriptures, and and this is what they did. They found when they started reading the Hebrew scriptures, they found a lot of um, potential references as they saw it to this extraordinary image. And then later, obviously, um, one of the most uh, one of the sort of breakthrough moments of many we've had and you've had um on this book was was looking at the the famous appearances so looking at um the risen jesus as he was said to have appeared you know in small and then larger groups and actually realizing that those were effectively this uh, piece of cloth being shown and that being 
what made people believe. That's right. Well, it, it all kicks off in the tomb and the first appearances of the risen Jesus that are, are narrated in the Gospels take place at the tomb, exactly where the shroud was found. Um, and then we go back to Jerusalem and there's the famous uh, appearance of the risen Jesus to the Twelve in the upper room. And this story, I think, is very clearly, you can see lots of details in this story which seem to relate to the Shroud. For instance, there's a lot of emphasis on the wounds of Jesus. You think of the famous story of Doubting Thomas. Um, and so these appearances in the upper room seem to relate to appearances, um, displays of the Shroud as well. And then later on, there are appearances elsewhere. Eventually, the Shroud, I think, gets taken up into Galilee, where it's shown to the apostles, that is, the, the missionaries of the church. Um, yes. Yeah, so and such was the nature of this that it then, you know, almost anyone that saw it um, would have become a believer. Yes, and of course they were primed to see it in a particular way by the people who showed it to them, and they were they were presented with this extraordinary cloth, which seemed to to give them access, visual access, as it were, to this amazing spiritual body of Jesus. Saint Paul, the first person to describe. Um, in fact, the only eyewitness we have who describes the risen Jesus describes him as inhabiting this glorious spiritual body. And that's exactly what the Shroud would have, would have shown them. And it's an incredible explanation for the, the, the spread of Christianity and, and, and the raw power of, of Christianity and, and what made people decide to go off and do this dangerous thing and form a new religion, effectively. Well, because it was such a, it was an objective phenomenon it's not just something they dreamt up in their imaginations they could see it they could touch it they could see that it was there and it was an extraordinary unique sign that had appeared and they all agreed on it as well you have a lot of people agreeing and and being able to to test their their, their um views of the shroud with each other and against the shroud itself so there's a very strong basis for this an awful lot of people got to see it as well st paul tells us that that, that more than 500 people witnessed this phenomenon and that is um, a phenomenal um, breakthrough in terms of our understanding of, of of the history of christianity and you know, it's only when uh, one starts to think about it. You, of course, there must have been something. There must have been something stronger. There must have been a testament, something that some people saw that was more than just a story or a myth being passed from person to person that, as I say, inspired this, this religion. Yeah, I think so. I think it needs some objective phenomenon that, that really kick-starts this extraordinary um, missionary wave that sweeps across the Mediterranean um, sweeps through through the Jewish world and the Gentile world. And the reason why it took off was because so many people um, had seen this phenomenon and agreed with, each other, agreed with each other and gave consistent testimony. Thomas DeWesley, thank you. Thank you. And that's it from the Penguin Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed it. To find out more about the authors and books featured in this podcast, please visit our website at penguinpodcast.co.uk and if you have any comments or suggestions, we'd really like to hear them. Email us at podcast at uk.penguingroup.com or, if you'd rather tweet us, we're on at Penguin Podcast on Twitter. You've been listening to the Penguin Podcast.